Well, good morning. Risen Hope Church, welcome. Gabby's friends and family, so great to have you. What a joyous time it is just to remember what God has done for each one of us. Like we've had, we have our own faith story where the Lord brought us out into out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we have the privilege of declaring that to everyone around us. Uh, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, today is the second part of a two-part sermon that was, began last week. We'll be looking at the same passage. Uh, so that would be Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 until chapter 2, verse 5. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, until chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Uh, Last week, just a few introductory comments, and then I'll just take a moment to pray. Last week, I began with with the true story of a photographic journalist, Joao Silva, who risked his life to take pictures in a war zone. Silva was completed, completely committed to his field of photographic journalism, telling stories through pictures. And as stewards entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul, and now us, we risk everything to proclaim Jesus. We're called to suffer and to speak to show the glorious riches of Christ. And today we're just, we're going to build on those ideas. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit, that you would give us more of your spirit, that we might see Christ. Lord, our our vision is so dim, it's so clouded, it's so obstructed by the things around us, by distractions, by the things of this world. But God, we we would see Jesus today. We would see him in his love and power and holiness and glory and his might and how worthy he is for us to lay down our lives for him, for us to surrender all, for us to even die for him. Lord, give us this power by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, when you see a baby on an ultrasound machine, 
It's incredible. You can hear that heartbeat up to 160 times a minute. And it's such a unique sound. If you've never heard it before, it's a combination of like this water bubbling up and wisps of wind, wisps, wisps, wisps. And then you look on the monitor, you see that heart pumping. And then not only that, you see the legs kicking and the arms moving, the head is bobbing. It's the miracle of life. The miracle that begins at conception and grows for nine months in her mother's womb. And the miracle continues with the birth of the baby into this world. And can you imagine once that baby is born, can you imagine a parent saying, well, great, the baby's born, the work's done, now we can all go home. Well, quite the opposite. The baby's born, now the real work begins. There's a road ahead feeding and raising this baby with the hope that she will grow up into maturity. The Apostle Paul has committed himself to the growth of the church. As we saw last week, he suffers and he speaks to show the glorious riches of Christ, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And as we saw last week, nothing is lacking in Christ's work. Jesus paid it all. He did it all. He secured it all for us, his people. But what's lacking is the proclamation of that work, speaking the good news to others and then a willingness to suffer for it. But Paul isn't content with just birthing new Christians into this world. He's committed to seeing baby Christians grow up into adulthood, grow up into maturity, And so today, we proclaim Christ and labor in Christ to present the whole church complete in Christ. So this is my big idea for today. We proclaim Christ and labor in Christ to present the whole church complete in Christ. So there's roughly three parts to my sermon. The first two, proclaim and labor, those are the cause And the final part, complete in Christ, is the effect. So we have roughly a cause and effect. So look with me to chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So number one, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. Paul says, him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim warning and teaching everyone, but also encouraging everyone. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 also, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So how does Paul do this warning, this encouraging, this teaching? Well, Paul proclaims Christ. He doesn't proclaim worldly wisdom or secular philosophies. It's Christ and Him crucified. And that's the litmus test for our life in ministry. The question is, is the cross front and center? Is the cross, which tells us two undeniable realities, front and center, and those undeniable realities are, number one, we're hopelessly lost, hopelessly lost, broken, and sinful. The cross humbles us to the dust, knowing that the only hope we have on that great and final day is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
But not that we're just hopelessly lost, but number two, that God has eagerly found us. It's what the cross tells us, that God has eagerly found us, like a shepherd who leaves those 99 other sheep on the mountains and goes to search after the one sheep that has gone astray. God doesn't give up. He searches and searches and doesn't stop searching until we're found. The cross is proof of that. The cross is proof of God's commitment to find lost sinners and bring them home. Maybe you're here this morning, here with us or watching on the live stream, and you're still lost. You have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, as we heard about this morning through Gabby's testimony. You have yet to turn your life over to Him. So we plead with you today. We encourage you today. We implore you to come to Jesus today. Be found today. Surrender your life today. Surrender. Give up your sin today because you don't know what tomorrow may bring. But that cross that Paul proclaims, that cross which is the source of our salvation, is the opposite of worldly wisdom. The world values power. The world values resources. The world values riches. There's no room in this world for a crucified Messiah, a Messiah who laid down his rights and died on a Roman cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, starting in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And then Paul goes on. God chose what is foolish. Notice that word over and over again. Foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So church, what directs, what drives our lives? What directs, what drives our ministries? What directs and drives our relationships? Is it that cross of Christ, which is foolishness to this world? The reality that Jesus laid down his life for me and now I lay down my life for him and for others? Or is it power which drives our lives? The politics or selfish ambitions? Is the cross of Christ our North Star? Is it our guiding principle? Is it the rock on which we stand? Or does something else occupy that place? Does the reality of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his future return affect everything about our lives? 
The Bible teaches that the indicative, what Christ has done for you, always leads to the imperative, what we do in love and response and obedience to Christ. Indicative always leads to imperative. And I want to go through some examples of how Paul and now us, we must now proclaim Christ to ourselves and to one another. So pay attention to these words, these words, for, the word as, the word because, for, as, and because, because these link the indicative to the imperative, the indicative, what Christ has done, and imperative to what we do in response. So let's look at relationships. We please our neighbor, for Christ did not please himself. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, Romans 15. We walk in love as Christ has loved you and given himself up for you, Ephesians chapter 5. We choose to be humble. We choose to be unselfish as Christ emptied himself and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians chapter 2. We forgive as Christ has forgiven you, Colossians 3.13. That's just a couple verses on how we do relationships together. Now, how about giving? How about generosity? We give to the Lord's work because the Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. How about the area of marriage? The Bible teaches us, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, Colossians 3.18. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25. Well, how about the area of work where we spend most of our waking hours? Whatever you do, whatever you do, wherever you are, work with all your heart as for the Lord and not for men. Colossians 3.23. And we could go on and on and on. And when you begin to live this way, you'll experience Christ and all the riches of treasure, of wisdom and knowledge. You'll experience the fullness of life everlasting, not just now, I mean, not, not just now, but forever as you deny yourself, as you take up the cross and as you follow him. And that's why we proclaim Christ. We don't need to look anywhere else. The world might tell you you need, to, you need more than Christ. You need to move beyond Christ. Many in this world are spiritual. It's trendy these days to be spiritual but not religious. But these spiritual people have no hunger, no thirst for Jesus. They're looking for something new, something novel, something exciting because to them, a, a crucified and risen Savior who lived 2,000 years ago, it seems out of date. But there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Every other spiritual path is a dead end. It's a dead end that leads away from God to eternal separation from God, to eternal judgment and eternal destruction in hell. So why would we, why would you, why would any of us go anywhere else for wisdom and knowledge when in Christ we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? And yet, if you and I are honest with ourselves, so easy to get sidetracked, so easy to get distracted, so easy to turn away 
from the riches of wisdom and knowledge we have in Christ. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There's so many ways to get deluded, to get fooled and derailed from Christ. You might remember in the parable of the sower, only one kind of soil out of four produced good fruit, grows up into eternal life. But the other three kinds of soil represent those who stray away, those who fall away from Christ. The first one, Satan tempts and distracts. That's the seed that's snatched away by the birds. In the second one, trials and difficulties can lead you to abandon Christ if you think that following Jesus will be easy. But it's not easy. And when the heat and the sun comes, the seed dies. They fall away. And third, there's the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, loving the world and the things of this world. And that represents the seed which falls among thorns and is choked out by weeds. So church, where are we vulnerable to being deluded, to being led astray? Have desires for other things. Maybe it's other causes, other interests, other hobbies, other ambitions tricked you into looking outside or beyond Christ. It's worth thinking about. It's worth reflecting on. And if so, well, we need to repent. We need to turn away from those. We need to put those things away and turn our hearts back to Christ. But it's not just for the individual Paul cares about. Paul cares about the whole church. Notice in verse 28, the words we and everyone. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You see, every one of us is responsible for the maturity of all the brothers and sisters in Christ in this church body, every one of us. It's not just for Paul, but for all. Not just for Paul, but for all. And so church family, that means we are all called to two things as we proclaim Christ. We're all called to humility and courage. Not just for Paul, but for all. And that requires humility and courage. So let's look at humility. When we see how Christ lowered himself, that should humble us. Christ was perfect. He never needed any correction. He was never proud. But we're the opposite. We're imperfect. We always need correction, and we're filled with pride. And a heart of humility, church, is a heart that recognizes that each one of us, we need help. We need help. When you're first learning to drive, the instructor tells you to check your blind spot. Those blind spots are dangerous because you look at those mirrors and it looks like you have the all clear, but there could be a car lurking back there. So you have to do a head check. You got to turn your head and look at that blind spot. So many times as a young driver, I'd forget to check and, and I assume, well, just because the mirrors look clear, hey, the coast is clear. I could change the, my lane. I can make my turn. 
but I was wrong. I would start moving into the next lane, and then I'd hear a honk, honk. The car in my blind spot would shock me back into my lane. And you and I, we have spiritual blind spots. Spiritual blind spots. And having others speak into our lives is like doing that head check. Others see what we don't see. It's what humility calls us to, to recognize that others see what we don't see. We don't see that anger there. We don't see that pride. We don't see that selfish ambition. And so do you have the humility to receive correction? Is it easy for someone to bring you critique? Would your family, would your spouse, would your husband or wife, or would would your child say, it's easy to correct you? To have a culture of discipleship where we're growing up as we proclaim Christ, we first need humility. But second, we also need courage. We need courage. Sometimes God calls you to give that correction, to look in someone's blind spot, to provide that warning to another person. But it's not easy. It's not easy. Nobody wants to do that. No one wants to say something that's hard or uncomfortable. And yet we warn because God warns. God warned Adam and Eve. God warned Israel. Now God warns us. God is the happiest being in the entire universe and wants us to experience happiness and joy in Him. And warning, as we warn one another, that spares us not just from temporary but eternal sorrow. It keeps us in Christ and in enjoying Him. And so if you see a brother or sister who claims, he claims to be a disciple of Jesus but loves their sin more than they love Jesus, Well, you have a responsibility to speak, to speak truth in love. Courage means we do speak, even when we'd rather not. So we need humility. We need courage to proclaim Christ and have a culture of discipling one another. And you might be wondering, well, how does this work? What does this all look like? How does the rubber meet the road? Well, discipling is not rocket science. You just need a willingness to help another brother or sister follow Jesus. Simple as that. Just a willingness to help another brother or sister follow Jesus. There are men in this church who meet with other men. They read the Bible together or do a book study. They serve one another by asking questions like, how is your marriage? What temptations are you struggling with? Or where is it hard for you to follow Jesus? And they pray together. It's not rocket science. They read, they ask, they pray. Simple things. And I've, I've been in several discipleship groups over the years. When Risen Hope first started, I met with a group of guys every few weeks to read a book, to ask one another how we're doing, and to pray together. Are you willing to do this for another brother or sister in the Lord? Are you willing to invite them into your life? And you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, but how do I get started? I don't want to remain an infant in Christ. I want to grow up to maturity. Well, I want to just suggest three simple steps I got from a discipleship booklet. And number one is pray. Pray, yes, pray and pray some more. And this is a step we quickly, I quickly forget and overlook, this critical first step of praying and trusting God and looking to God. God 
knows our need even before we ask, and He delights in meeting our needs through prayer. We don't have discipling relationships because we do not ask. Ask and you shall receive. Pray and keep praying until the Lord provides. If this is the desire of your heart for someone to pour into you, pray and keep praying. Number two, join the church. Join the church. As you heard Pastor Rick mention this morning already, you don't, if you're not already a member at Risen Hope, we desire every New Testament disciple to commit to a local church. And it doesn't have to be ours. The New Testament teaches that every Christian is vitally connected to the, to the church body where God's word is preached and lived out. As you've already heard, on July 18th, we'll be starting our Explore course. It's a chance to explore whether Risen Hope might be the church home God is calling you to commit yourself to. There's no pressure to make a decision or join, so we encourage anyone here, everyone here who isn't a member to take this course. You can't grow as a disciple of Christ without committing yourself to the body of Christ, the church. So pray, join the church, and finally, watch someone else's faith. Watch someone else's faith. As you meet people at church, as you meet people in community group, who is someone you can learn from? Who is someone you respect spiritually? Who turns to Scripture for answers rather than the wisdom of man? And when you see that person, him, her, just ask. Just ask if they'd be willing to disciple you. And this step of putting yourself out there and asking, that also requires humility and courage. And if you do this, if you pray, you join the church, and you watch someone else's faith, but nothing seems to be turning up, don't give up. To quote a pastor, another pastor, be to others what you would want them to be for you. Be for another what you would want them to be for you. So if you desire to someone help you fight sin and live a life of purity, well, look for ways to be that to someone else. So number one, we proclaim Christ. Him we proclaim. And number two, we labor in Christ. In case it wasn't clear, for Paul warning everyone and teaching everyone, that's work. That's hard work. There's a commitment of time and energy involved. And that means we have to prioritize what's most important. In church, we make these decisions all the time. We're not going to buy this for our family so we can buy that. We're not going to do this with our time so we can do that. And as disciples, our Sunday morning gathering together has to be priority number one. And beyond that, building relationships takes time. Let's look at verse 29 of chapter 1 until verse the first verse of chapter 2. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Notice the words toil, struggling. How great a struggle. This was hard work. The Christian life isn't sitting back and waiting for Jesus to return. He has work for us to do, making and multiplying disciples. Earlier, I told you about a discipleship group of men that I met with. I didn't tell you that the only time that worked for everyone was 6 a.m. 
on a weekday at Dunkin' Donuts. 6 a.m. on a weekday. But we valued that time, and we made it work. And for a season, we met regularly that early, and the Lord used it to grow us. So Paul's work to preach, to teach, to warn, to encourage, it was toil, it was labor. Paul compares the Christian to an athlete, to a hardworking farmer. But it's not somehow because Paul was something special or Paul had it in himself. He says, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Because God's at work, Paul's at work. Because God's at work, Paul's at work. Paul talks about the resurrection power that is in every single Christian. The, resur- the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power in every single Christian to carry out God's work. Pastor Sam Storm writes, God's power is not designed to eliminate our responsibility to work hard, but to enable us to fulfill it. Paul is able to work hard because God is working hard. Paul is able to work hard because God is working hard. And that's why Paul could say, I worked harder than any of them. I worked harder than any of the other apostles. But it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, 1 Corinthians 15.10. The wife of one Puritan pastor once wrote of her husband, he did rise constantly at or before 4 o'clock a.m., and he would be much troubled if he heard Smith's or other craftsmen at their trades before he was in communion with God, saying, how this noise shames me. Does not my master deserve more than theirs? And as we consider all that our master has done for us, does he not deserve our best, the best of our time, the best of our resources, the best of our labors, the best of our commitment? Oh, but how often, church, and fellowship. They take a backseat to other things, other priorities, kids' activities, hobbies, work, desires for other things. Oh, on that final day, will we be found faithful, faithful in toil for our King? Or will we be found and realize too late that we were like that slothful and lazy servant who buried their talent rather than put it to use? And this toil has to include the labor of prayer because, our spirit, because, our, because spiritual work requires spiritual power. Paul writes in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. David Brainerd, a missionary to American Indians, knew the power of prayer. In his journal, a couple of his journal entries dated April 1742, he wrote how God enabled me to so agonize in prayer that I was quite wet with sweat, though in the shade, in the wind cool. My soul was drawn out very much for the world and enabled to cry to God with a childlike spirit. I was enlarged in the sweet duty of intercession, was enabled to remember great numbers of dear friends and precious souls as well as Christ's ministers. I continued till I dropped asleep. And how many of us watch TV or read our favorite book till we drop asleep? 
Not that it's wrong to watch TV or read a favorite book, but how little we pray, how little we agonize, how little we plead with God like that. We proclaim Christ and labor in Christ to present the whole church complete in Christ. And finally, number three, to present the whole church complete in Christ. Imagine if you had an 18-year-old son who was still like an 18-month-old. You still had to change his diaper. He still nursed. He drank only milk. Something would be wrong, really wrong, because the birth isn't the end. It's just the beginning. But too often, too many Christians are content with staying spiritual infants, but not Paul. There's a goal. There's an end result to proclaiming Christ and laboring Christ. Look again at chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. But for what purpose? What's the goal? What's the end result? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That Greek word translated mature is teleos, which could also be translated perfect. The same word used in Matthew 5.48, where Jesus tells us we must be teleos or perfect as your heavenly Father is teleos or perfect. And over time, we're perfected and brought to a state of completion as we grow up in Him. Look in chapter 2, verse 2, that they may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery in Christ. Notice those key words of maturity. There's a full assurance of understanding and knowledge. But notice again, it's not just the individual, it's communal. It's their hearts. It's all of us together. And that leads us to what we see in verse 5 as we bring things to a close this morning. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul rejoiced. He rejoiced to see their firmness of faith in Christ, to see their maturity. As Pastor Sam Storms points out, Satan will continue to sow the seeds of doubt, will continue to encounter adverse circumstances, unanswered prayer, affliction, abandonment. If we're faithful to proclaim Christ and to labor in Christ, we'll have the spiritual maturity, spiritual completeness to weather the storms of life. So when the hurricanes of doubt and adversity, silence from heaven, affliction, abandonment come, you will have the fortitude to stand firm. And then we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. But if not, if we neglect to proclaim Christ, if we neglect to labor in Christ. We'll be like that helpless infant. We'll be vulnerable. We'll be tossed to and fro, unable to stand. So by God's grace, may we be a church that grows and matures into spiritual adulthood, 
not content with spiritual infancy. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for men and women, for families, for singles, for children, for youth who are part of this church body, the members of Risen Hope. Lord, pour out your grace in our lives, Lord. We see in many ways how we lack humility, we lack courage, and yet you call us to proclaim Christ, proclaim Christ to ourselves, proclaim Christ to one another. You call us to labor, to work hard, to invest the precious resource of our time into your kingdom, into building up our fellow brothers and sisters into full maturity, to seeing them grow up into mature adulthood. Lord, give us the grace to make those tough decisions that we might prioritize those things which are most important. And Lord, by your grace, may we grow up into adulthood, into completeness, into full maturity in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Church, we just have a quick reminder that we'll have a time for prophetic ministry uh, to lay hands and pray over Gabby Mitchell. So if you're involved in the prophetic ministry, uh, please come forward. Um, In church, as you go out those doors, grace and peace be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.